Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Bell the Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and I've got a fucking rambunctious dog over here, so just everybody be on alert for that. And joining me now, the star of the show, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. And up here, that sound right there, there's your one going down for the show, my friend. There we go. <clears throat> a little Miller like to start us off right. Yep. And it's good to be back. I, uh, good to be back. Yeah, I, I kind of got a head start on drinking in the morning last night, so I'm, I'm laying off for now. <laughs> Taking a time out, huh? Yep, taking a little bit of a break. Yeah. <sighs> so, That's Bobby, good weird once in a while. <laughs> yeah. I heard uh, heard somebody took you out drinking last week. <laughs> Where'd you hear that at, man? I heard it on Facebook, but, you know, but whatever. <laughs> you been up to anything exciting? Well, yeah, I guess. Um, I got worked. Um, you know, we do the FTC training school, have classes on Tuesday and Thursday nights, and I get a phone call from Joe Pace earlier in the day and it says, Bobby, we're not going to have class uh, this evening. I've got a meeting with a businessman, and uh, I'd like you and Julian to come down to the Winchester, which is a real nice hotel down here in Ashland. And he said, um, you know, I don't like talking in public too much, but I, I figured you, you know, might want to talk as, to this guy. They, they do investments and, uh, they contacted us and recommended them that, um, you know, we can get some money for some shows. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, they have a group chat that I'm not a part of. Um, I have another one that I'm a part of that just deals strictly with, you know, the school, not even joking and all fucking aside and all that, you know. So anyway, uh, I guess some people tried to figure out what's going on, but I I'd had no idea what was going on throughout the whole day. I said this to me, I kept saying this one. Of them, he's going to go down there and it's going to be some guy talking to us about multi-level marketing. <laughs> Timeshare. And he's going to try to sign me and Jillian up to, you know, say, hey, here's the way we can make some money, sell these vitamins or something. Or I was thinking someone's going to say, Hey, brother, have you heard the good news? And I said, I'm just going to keep on. If it's one of those two, I said, I'm going to keep on walking right through the fucking lobby. I'm going home. So I got down there, man, and it was a pleasant, pleasant, pleasant surprise. They had a night of the belts dinner for myself and Jillian Hall. Uh, they had planned this for several months. It was well planned out. They had a really nice dinner for us, man. I've got to send out so uh, some special people showed up. Of course, everyone at the FTC the Art of Grappling School. I don't want to leave anyone off if they're listening. But uh, Joe Pace, thank you for setting it up. I did get worked till about right, uh, about two minutes before we went in. Um, I started catching on something wasn't right and that this is probably something more than um, some kind of meeting. But it's very, very nice. Uh, Joe, thank you. Uh, Jillian, congratulations to you. They had a really nice Divas belt for her. And I now own a um, Smoky Mountain replica, Smoky Mountain heavyweight championship belt, man. And they had it in a case, and it's just really a shadow box. It's really, really nice, man. One of the nicest things anyone ever done for me. Um, I want to thank Brock Boulder, Casey King, Titan Troy Watson, Judy Ray Hendricks, uh, Sarah Bubbles, Big Rob, uh, Reese Ramon, Sleazy E, manager everyone wants to be with, uh, Stephen Meek, 
Dave Crow and Hunter Hudson, they all showed up. I'm sure I'm leaving a couple people off that couldn't make the dinner. I'm not sure. But anyway, thank you all very much. Uh, man, Jeremy, I had some, uh, uh, spicy tuna, uh, sushi. Yeah. It was very, very good. And I had a, um, had a couple beers. That was really nice. And I had, um, uh, some steak, blue rare. And if you know me, that's the way I like mine. Sizzle that motherfucker on one side for about maybe 60 seconds, flip it over, get that other side hot, put it on a plate and let the blood drip where it may. That's my blue rare steak. Yep. And, um, it was really nice, man. It was a really nice time. And, uh, so thank you guys. Thank FTC. Also thank, um, the, uh, time warp had something to do with it as well. And, um, just thank all the people that showed up for the dinner, man. It was really, I got worked and it was, um, a pleasant, pleasant surprise, like I said. So um, that was pretty cool, Jeremy. Yeah, no, that, cool. sounds, that sounds awesome. Have you slept with yeah. the belt yet? Well, I haven't slept for about three days. Oh, okay. well, that explains <laughs> that then. And, you know, now, the first night I wanted to, but it was still in a case. I haven't gotten out of the case yet. <laughs> and that's a running joke that everyone knows. You know, that's the first thing you do if you get the championship belt. You sleep with the motherfucker. But uh, I've kept it in, in, the, in the shadow box for now. Uh, I am going to have it out. Um, yeah, I'm going to whip that bad boy out. Just so you know, I might sleep with it on, on, on November 5th because I have to be up early on November 6th for the, uh, bluegrass con and, um, I'll have the belt there and people can come up and, and admire it and take pictures with it, um, with me with it. Uh, might even let a few people hold it when they take the pictures on the selfies because that's part of the package deal. But um, I'll get that out of the way while we're on it. Time Warp, uh, thank you, Earl, FTC. Thank you, Joe. Bluegrass Wrestling Con is coming to Ashland, Kentucky, Saturday, November 6th from 12 to noon at the Kentucky High Museum. Jeremy, I am now on a billboard in Ashland, Kentucky, in my 50s, and got on a damn billboard. Can you believe that? That's, uh, um, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And also one in Huntington, West Virginia. There's one up there uh, on the expressway or interstate. But I'll tell you what, there's uh, The Godfather and uh, uh, Lex Luger and uh, Billy Gunn, uh, Coco Beware. But on, the, uh, on a billboard, man, they got me right in the middle. And, and on each side of it, this is impressive to me. I got Stan Hansen on one side and Magnum TA on the other. Just that's our faces, you know. And I thought, oh, man, yeah. that's getting over right there, man. So uh, uh, that's a few of the guests that's going to be there. I, uh, Jimmy Hart, Rhino, Jillian Hall, they've all signed. And um, uh, uh, Black, what's his name? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The uh, who announced Malachi or Malachi Black's going to be there. Yes. Um, and then there's a few more. There's 25 vendor tables. I know of at least four of those tables bringing in other professional wrestlers, some active, some retired, but I cannot mention those because they're not under contract with FTC. Um, I do know the talent. Most of the ones I just now mentioned, um, will be there as well from the FTC, as well as, <coughs> excuse me, damn, get choked up on this. Um, as well as, uh, several independent wrestlers throughout this tri-state region. So I don't know who all, you know, will be there. Um, from, from the independent scene, but I know it's supposed to be a really action packed day. So, um, anyway, 
Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BobbyBlaze744, and there's more information on there. I just put up a um, an ad today about it. So uh, just getting that out of the way, kind of doing some early house cleaning here before we start a podcast, uh, because we've got a good one lined up today, man. Not that we ever try to line up a bad one, but we've got a damn good one today. Now, when we when we do a bad episode, it's usually by by mistake. It's um, not it's not planned. It's not malicious, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even our bad ones are good, and our good ones are great. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, you know, what, let's uh, before we go on to that topic, let's go ahead and uh, drop in on the time warp real quick. Hey, video gamers, sports fans, and nostalgia enthusiasts, this is Bobby Blaze. Are you ready for a time warp? Time Warp is a brick-and-mortar hobby shop with a high selection of everything sports, gaming, and collectibles right in downtown Ashland in two locations at the Ashland Town Center. They've got vintage toys, sport cards, and collectibles. Tons of wrestling merch. It's the largest selection of memorabilia in the tri-state. Time Warp also has an extensive inventory of vintage and current video games and consoles. It's a 100% must-visit for retro gamers. Time Warp buys your collectibles daily and are open seven days a week, 365 days a year. They're only closed on Christmas and Thanksgiving. Check out their Facebook page at Time Warp Ashland. All right. So, Bobby, what are we talking about this week? Man, we're going to do our 100% legit Hall of Fame. It's our second class in Duck D's, man. Um, we've got a really good class of us. Uh, this time, I'm, the first class was first class. We can review that in a second, but I'm a, I'm especially excited about this second class because I know s- several of these people on here. I think all of them, but one personally. So, anyway, that's pretty cool. And there's nothing yeah. second class about these people either. Absolutely not. These, yeah, well said, well said. Um, you you want to review our first class real quickly? Um, yeah, um, yeah. Let's go ahead. take a visit back to that. Yeah. Um, well, let's do this. Our categories are managers, tag teams, um, a heel wrestler, a face wrestler, and just a wrestler. Just someone that was all out, just, you know, legitimately good, you know, at, at wrestling. Yes. And um, you want to start us off with uh, our first class? Well, if we go uh, wrestler here, we're going to go with the, the great Luthez. Yes, absolutely. And we were glad to put him in our first class. Um, and again, what we did, we could have had 10 or 12 people in our first class. We just decided to do it this way, you know, in each category. So, yes, our first wrestler to be inducted was Luthez, man, mm-hmm. NWA world champion multiple times and uh, just, well, you know, all you know, out great wrestler. And the way, the way I have heard it, and I think even Jim Cornette's backed this up to some degree, is that one or two of those titles that he uh, unified into the NWA title, he literally took by force. He had to go yeah, in. I can believe that. Yeah, he had to go in, screw the guy, and win the title in the middle of the ring and keep going, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, so these younger kids who say that, you know, he's got nothing on the wrestlers of today, uh, fold yourself in half and stick your head further up your own. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and his, the, the title of his book was called Hooker. So, yeah, exactly. you know. He hook him and you know be screaming out your asshole, you know exactly. So, <laughs> what number? If we go by manager, yes. we've had this debate before, but um, on our manager scale, man, we had um, Bobby the Brain Heenan. That we could not have went wrong on on putting him in there, man. No, there's there's so, no going uh, wrong with Bobby Heenan. Uh, yeah, 
Greatest marriage of all time. Yeah, yeah, I said it. (laughs) Well, just one of the best heels, period. Um, Fun to watch. Funny guy, too. I don't know if he just had every joke in the world memorized or what, but he had something ready to go anytime anybody said anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he. I uh, think he must have had a book in his early days he rode around with and just said, this is a comeback for this, this is a comeback for that, and remembered it because he had something for everyone. Yeah, that's that's yeah. just it. And I, all I can figure is, look, you know, I, I can be pretty funny from time to time, but all of my material is shit that I've worked on before. It's all jokes <laughs> I've used before. You know, it's all yeah. stuff I know the timing already, you know. Yeah. So I have to figure when you're that quick, it's because you've already got a whole bunch memorized, worked out, timed, and practiced. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Um, tag team, who was that, Jeremy? Well, the tag team, that was going to be um, uh, uh, the, the Midnight Express. I, I was looking at the wrong spot on here, and I got confused for a second. Uh, Midnight Express, uh, the greatest tag team in the world. Of course, we, we just lost Bobby Eaton. Yes. Um, so we we kind of kind of have to point out that uh, you know without a doubt, Bobby Bobby Eaton was one of the most innovative wrestlers of his time. And Bobby, I had a question for you. If say like a wrestler got to a show and he was the champ, but he had lost the belt at the airport, do you think Bobby Eaton would have a copy of that belt in his duffel bag? <laughs> It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if the office called him and said, Hey, Bobby, can you stop by? And when he did, they said, Here, and here's another belt. Just keep this in one of your duffel bags that you carry around just in case something happens uh, or you, which I don't think you should do. Never check the fucking belt at an airport. Wear the motherfucker, carry the motherfucker, do something. To, to, I don't understand that, man. I wouldn't let it out of my sight, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I think to answer your question, uh, you get there, you don't panic. You, you maybe not even tell anyone. You may just pull someone like Arn over to the I say, hey, Arna, listen, I got a little situation here. Uh, what do you suggest I do? And Arna will give you this look when he drops his eyes over his glasses and gives you that look like um, you're fucking around, ain't you, kid? And he sees in your face that you're not, and he says, go see Bobby Eaton. <laughs> and then Arn puts the call into the office, you know. Yeah. We're using the second belt because Bobby does happen to have it in his bag. I would imagine that would be the case. <laughs> that would be so damn funny. I lost the belt and Bobby's just like, oh, uh, he, here you go. <laughs> just bring it back yeah, to as me. Casually, he handed out towels. <laughs> yeah, he would sit there and go, oh, you need a towel? And he'd pull out like three big white fluffy ones. Like, well, everyone always needs a towel. <laughs> you know, everyone, not everyone loses the belt, but hey, kid, here Here's one tonight. Oh, uh, see yeah. it then in the matches. So, uh, yeah. And also, by default, Cornette got in on that deal yep. there for manager. So, that's all good there. We appreciate that. Um, and our heel was first heel. Who you well, got, Jeremy? Jake the Snake Roberts went in as our first heel. And yes. Know, anybody that knows me knows what a great talker and psychologist I think Jake the Snake was. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody who could, who is just so pants-shittingly terrifying just just from talking, just from looking at making eye contact with the camera. Just that look, yeah. yeah. He might even spoke a word yet. When he does look in that camera, it's there's just something 
something about that look, man, before he even speaks, you're like, oh, shit, something's going down. Yeah, it's like, you know, I remember as a kid watching him talk the first couple times, and he's looking at the camera, and I'm just thinking, I hope he's looking at whoever's behind me and not me. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't want to lock eyes on that side of a bitch. Yeah, 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 very true, man, yeah. Yeah, Jake was our heel, which led us to our first baby face, which was a uh, unanimous decision on that was uh, for the first class was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, man. Yeah. And we've talked about him often enough on this program, but, uh, you know, we put Ricky Steamboat in there. He just seemed like, uh, I think we talked about it before, um, he was um, uh, never a heel that we knew of, right? No, that's, that was... That, um... One of that the was things. a the defining moment when we decided to vote for him. There was yeah. a couple others, and we said, "Okay, he's going in as, as the um, all time face." You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's so. you know going off of that. We couldn't really find a time he was a heel or known for being a heel. Right. Um, he he was kind of like the 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 good version of Ric Flair in that you could put him in the ring with anybody, and he mm-hmm. could make them look like a million bucks. You know, Absolutely, yeah. Then he and Macho Man were also credited as having one of the first "quote unquote" modern wrestling matches. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. Um, Ricky Steamboat just you know probably these days just an underrated talent. Especially since what you see of him now is the WWE dusting him off on occasion and sending him in to get his ass kicked by like you know Randy Orton or something. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. remember what they dug him out yeah. for last time, but. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. But um, Ricky could just go, and he had that. I loved his arm drags. He had that deep arm drag when he sunk in on it, man. Just a thing of beauty when he floated yeah, over, it, you know. And just, his was like high up was on nice. the arm, right? It was like yes. almost, almost high in the up under the armpit. Yeah. He was actually up in the armpit. He'd take his left hand and shoot through at that elbow. I'm not trying to do it. I know you can't see me, but he had that right wrist, uh, his right hand. Uh, grabbing a wrist and his left arm would be up un- into the armpit that deep sometimes and and that beautiful bridge with the arch mm-hmm. and just take a guy right over it it, it was a thing of art actually it's beautiful yeah, very beautiful well yeah because most people so. do that down on the forearm and they let the other guy do all the work mm-hmm. you know so yeah you can mm-hmm. really see a difference with the ricky steamboat yeah very deep i always try to emulate that him and uh oh they had them really deep ones and to pop for mine because I could, I, you know, I did it with the nice bridge the way I was taught and uh, I sunk in as deep as I could, uh, probably deep as steamboat, but yeah, I'd always get that nice big fan. Uh, and then it's perfectly fine of the people that, uh, you know, lock the arm and, and pivot and go to the knee and take them over. That's fine. But I always liked the ones where the guy did the, um, deep in the uh, armpit like that. The other style is called a Mexican arm drag, and you basically lock elbows, and you both kind of put your hand on your heart, um, kind of like a, uh, like you're saying a pledge or, or something, but you'll yeah. be using your, yeah, but you'll be using your left arm, and you got that hook there, and a lot of times if you're real slippery, sweaty, oiled up, or whatever, you just kind of lock in. You can get a good arm uh, drag out of that as well. So uh, I like both styles, especially if they're done with a bridge. So, but we're getting off subject there, talking about wrestling moves and not Hall of Fame wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So we, uh, let's we, get we back on a, track. Yeah, took a little asides there, I believe, but um, you know that's that's okay. So this, uh, well, not this year. This is the second one this year. Uh, class uh, come up with something we just now did later on in the show. I'll refer back to that problem. 
All right, Bobby. So let's get started with uh, the second class of the 2021 100% real and legitimate Hall of Fame. Sounds like a plan to me, man. And uh, we are going to start with somebody who I know for a fact is near and dear to your heart. Who is our head heel for this uh, this inductee? Induction. Oh, the heel has to go to none other than Professor Boris Malenko, and it gives me great pleasure to induct him into our second class, although he is a first-class, you know, person, man, as he used to say. Uh, let me reword that. You know what he used to say? Let me, he'd say, um, he'd go by and do something to say something, uh, and this person, I'll rename, I'll, I won't name the person, and they'd go, Oh, Larry, you have no class. And he'd say, I've got class. God damn it, it might be low class, but I've got class. <laughs> so Malenko heads up this this second uh, class here as one of the top heels, man. And that's just one of I've got some Malenkoisms I'm going to get to in just a second. But um, Mr. Professor Boris Malenko, I... I Hardly ever called him Larry. I never referred to him as uh, Mr. Simon or anything. Like, always Mr. Malenko or used Professor Malenko. Um, Mr. TV announcer. That's what he would say uh, when he was on TV because he had those great promos. That's what he was known for. I know he done it in Houston from about 69 to 78, and then also in Tampa. He had that run there in Houston with Wahoo. Then he had a great run in Tampa and all throughout Florida with uh, Eddie Graham. And uh, he would say, Mr. TV announcer. <laughs> And Dean told me one time, he's, I'd see him talking like, you know, it's Gordon Sully, Dad. And he goes, don't you know his name by now? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. TV announcer, you know. But, um, yeah, uh, what, a, what a great addition to our 100% legit Hall of Fame. You can throw some stuff in there. I'll come back with some Lankoisms, man. Um, well, yeah, so, you know, as far as, like, where Boris Malenko really fits in, he could have also gone in the in the wrestler position as far as inductees go because he's a great technical wrestler. Um, yeah, but if yeah. you talk to people like in the Florida market areas that really watched him, he drew a lot of heat. He was almost oh, yeah. almost just flat out hated everywhere he went. Oh yeah, he was hated, man. He was a tremendous worker, a great trainer, you know. But as far as drawing heat, he knew how to draw heat. I mean, he just heat magnet, you know. Mm -hmm. People hated him. Yeah, and then as far as like his in-ring ability, he could carry. Did you know? I bet you didn't know this. He could carry a mattress through a whole match, Bobby. <laughs> I think that mattress is greater conditioning as Malenko was in. I think it just come down to it put the sleeper hold on him. You know, <laughs> time time to take a bump for that. I guess. Yeah. Well, um, you know. Yeah, if you haven't seen that commercial, it's out there. What was that? Um, uh, we didn't pull it up this time, but it was uh, no, like head dick, uh, head dick mattress head or cockhead something. Yeah, some mattress company anyway. But um, no, man, I, I I was so blessed to uh, study under his learning tree. You know, um, he just just a great great guy. Of course, he eventually turned baby face there in Tampa. He was over you know so so much man when he became a trainer and stuff and had his gym and. Uh, just a very kind-hearted man, a big-hearted man. But he had these um, Malenkoisms. I'm going to give you a couple of them right now. One I kind of mentioned up to the top of the uh, hour there. It was, uh, excuse me, uh, don't go around the world to cross the street. You say that, say that all you know? the time. You say that all the, all time. the time. Yeah. 
I do or he does? You do. He did. You do. Oh, I do. Well, I know. I, yeah. I, I was thinking about this. I said that Thursday to someone, and then today it hit me. I was like, I don't think I put T. Malenkoisms on our last time we we. Uh, also, let me say this real quickly. Malenko on our. Um, let me show it. We had him as the number five on regional hills on our Bell to Bell Bobby Blaze YouTube channel, and that has eight point five um, thousand views. And I don't think we put any Malenkoism with that. But yeah, I use that one all the time. and didn't even realize I was using it from him. You know, rubbed off. Yep, that's um, so. That's that's pretty cool because I, I I I didn't know where you picked it up from. Um, but I noticed that you said it quite a bit. Matter of fact, I, even I've started saying it when I'm doing some <laughs> things now. Um, it is one I like though, because it's very, very illustrative of going just a little too far to explain something. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually Thursday, I swear, I think someone repeated it back to me when it was talking, uh, just asking the question or something. I, I could seem like that came up Thursday. The other one, I like this one is the, this, the don't make a blizzard out of a fart. You know, he, he don't make a blizzard up. Where the fuck you come up at at, you know? But, um, yeah, don't make a blizzard out of a fart. That's good. Um, in the land of the blind, the man with one eye is king. He used to say that, you know, if, if no one knows anything, you know, the, the, the man that can wrestle and work and that have you, you're going to be the king. That's basically what he's getting to. You know, I'm going to teach you how to wrestle. I'm giving you a gimmick. It's wrestling, you know, it's, it's working. And um, I like that because, you know, sometimes you got to be the leader because everyone around you is blind. And you might just have one eye, but if you do, you're the king, you know. Um, I'll drop one more on you. And I, I say this one all the time. Matter of fact, uh, I do know this came up Thursday because... We were standing outside the, the class there, and uh, Casey and I were speaking. And um, he said, what is it, Bobby? And I looked at these two young guys. I said, uh, believe nothing you hear and only half what you see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we had two new students drop by, and I, was, I just dropped it right to them. Straight, cold truth right there, man, you know. Uh, believe nothing you hear and only half what you see. But anyway, that's that's just a few of the Malenkoisms, man. Oh, yeah. Well, um, and uh, just, uh, of course, he's the father of uh, Joe and Dean Malenko. And I know Dean is one of your all-time favorites. All-time favorites. Um, I just, well, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, the greatest in-ring technical wrestler I have ever seen. You know, Man, he was just so smooth. Uh, I wish you could have seen him wrestle live, man. It was, it was unreal uh, the way he could... Just the way he moved his body and the stuff he could do during a match that he would he could crack you up doing so something so simple. Now I'm not saying he done it like in WCW uh, on a grander scale, but I've seen him do TVs for like Suncoast Pro and in, in Tampa, uh, Sarasota, and the smaller markets down there. As far as the TV show we had at the time, the and I mean he'd do like. A, uh, a sunset flip maybe and as he's going over he just give you some face and it just give you like where'd that fucking come from you know uh it, it, but but it didn't it no one else would catch it just if you were at the announcer's table or had me watching the monitor and you're like uh oh, that damn dean man and he's just in there as smooth as can be you know smooth as can be um just when i I was in Australia with them. We'll talk about different people, you know, of course, of this pro podcast that I was, you know, with there. And, um, man, the referee, the Malenko referee, Frankie Reyes, and we were up in the crow's nest watching, you know, the, the last of the, uh, the main the battle Royals and then the main event. And, uh, man, Frankie has turned to me and, and this was 93 or so. And, um, he just said, man, Dean 
he's got to be one of the best in the world. He's just so smooth. And we were just sitting there watching Dean. He was a mechanic, man. He was in the ring and just, you know, it, it, it was like, it was magic. He was making magic happen. And he worked like he was like, two, he was like 202 pounds at the time. He worked like he was 230 pounds that can move, though. You know, he just, uh, and he didn't waste moves either. Everything he did, there was a rhythm and flow to it. So, um, you know, Malenka, <laughs> that's another thing, too. <laughs> uh he was professor boris malinka was talking and i think Meltzer had come into the school and a couple other people he was doing a promo they was doing this tour thing and 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 larry was talking about a heel being relentless you know he'll be relentless and uh dean again when he's as i've mentioned before so witty and so funny too he goes uh he'll say dad <laughs> what do you know about being relentless all you do is poke a guy in the eyes you know just <laughs> Yeah, something like that. Just uh, you know, just fuck with them, kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, and break up awesome. the uh, break up the day, you know, or break up the interview, or uh, have some fun with it. But um, you know, Malenko as a heel man, he like I said, he had a, uh, he did the angle with um, uh, Wahoo, I guess, in uh, Texas for the Houston office for Paul Bosch, I guess was. Uh, oh, here's you one from Malenko. <laughs> he said, "There's only Bobby. There's only two kind of promoters in the world." Bad and worse. <laughs> but he had a lot of respect for Paul Bosch, and he said he was a great payoff man. And um, they'd done the angle there for Wahoo where Malenko had the uh, his dentures, you know, he had false teeth, and they, uh, Wahoo got him to where he crushed them, you know, stepped on them, uh-huh. and then they ran the same angle, you know, several years later over in Florida with Fetty Graham uh, crushing his teeth, you know. Um, but money-making, you know. Money making. Well, that's um, that's the job, you know. <laughs> that's the job. Yeah, and he trained people to learn how to make money. One of the things was first you learn uh, to wrestle, then you learn to work, and then you learn to make money. And that's the process, man. And why don't you give us a list of some of the talented people that Professor Boris Malenko trained before we move on? Um, and, and, you know, we got him as a heel, but I'm sitting there putting him over. I don't know what more to say uh, as a heel, you know. Yeah. Um, he just, you know, he was just over as a heel. He knew how to draw heat. Um, Mike Mooneyham on, on his uh, Twitter all the time, uh, not all the time, of course, because he gives equal uh, uh, coverage to several, several wrestlers. But when it comes to drawing heat, he always puts a picture of Malenko and said, this is heat. And he'll have uh, Malenko on top of uh, uh, Graham in Florida or something. You know, it's just one of those things. Uh, oh, yeah. That's pretty um, cool. Well, yeah. So let me let me do the quick list of his, his trainings. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Jody and Dean Malenko. Tugboat, Al Perez, Norman Smiley, uh, Gangrel, Barry Horowitz, X-Pac, Bobby Blaze. Bob Wharton hey. Jr., Buddy Landell, Chris Champion. So he also trained Eddie Sharkey. Now, if you're the guy who trained Eddie Sharkey, that makes you the grandfather trainer of almost every wrestler from the Midwest. Yeah. Um, I can't even begin to name all the people fucking Eddie Sharkey trained, you know. Horace right. Hogan, Mark Merrow, Perry Saturn, Van Hammer, and Bob Cook. Mm-hmm. That's, that's quite the list. I didn't know about the Eddie Sharkey thing. Yeah, I knew there was a connection there. I wasn't sure exactly uh, what it was, you know. Um, now, Bob Cook, a uh, tremendous worker, too, man. Um, he uh, he did the um, 
you know, Malenko used to manage the uh, mass superstar, Bill mm-hmm. Eady. And uh, once he moved to Malenko, retired to Florida, uh, Bob Cook took over at Gimmick in Florida and did a did a mass superstar gimmick down there that was that was pretty over, and um, you know got got over pretty good just in the Florida market. You know, um, I think there's probably some heat about it or whatever, but just saying, you know, um, a lot of talented people. When I was on there uh, when I was training, of course, Joe and Dean were both there. They they were well had already well been trained, of course, and already been pros. Now. We'll talk more about Joe and just when we bring up someone else in this list. But yeah, uh, Dean, um, see Norman, I got to meet Norman and wrestle with Norman. What a town, uh, Gangrel, Horowitz, man, you know, Horowitz, they said, uh, you know, he come in with two left feet and quit and, uh, was like ready to walk home one day. And like, no, and he took some time off and came back with a different attitude and, um, you know, look what he went and done at the time when I was down there, he was, he was on, you know, had a, had a job with WWE or WWF you know, at the time, uh, making good money, you know, mm-hmm. X-Pac, S- Sean was there when I was there. Um, you know, we, we spent many, a, a weekends together and also many, many days on the road together training. Um, of course, um, uh, Buddy Landell, I got to work with Buddy. I knew Buddy before I went down, uh, but just however briefly in a locker room type situation. And, um, you know, of course, obviously, end up working a program with Buddy. Mm-hmm. And before Buddy passed away, I was in a conversation with Buddy and, and Joe Malenko uh, on Facebook back when I was on that um, site. Uh, but anyway, he, um, uh, Buddy was, you know, we had that hate-love relationship. But I think we were feeling out each other, respected each other, and, and, and trying to make money off each other, you know. Sure. So, well, and, and uh, Buddy helped you get that car that one time, too. That was Oh, nice. yeah, of course. Little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, I remember when um, uh, Mark Merrill and Van Hammer walked in. And they both, you know, good-looking guys, muscled up. Uh, uh, he was a boxer, Mark was, and uh, Van Hammer was like a hairstylist, yep. you know. But uh, anyway, they came in, and they took a few lessons, and they went up to WCW to do a job. And I think they end up doing uh, about three or four TV jobs. I, and I think the fifth time they went up there, uh, Dusty saw Merrow and said, you know, stay off TV. I got an idea for you, which was a Johnny B. Bad thing. And Van Hammer was just so big and muscular and had a good look to him. Uh, and I would dare say uh, neither one of them could fucking work at that time, but they had to look and they both got signed and they learned. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. just because they was at the right place at the right time. But they only had a, probably about five actual lessons you know, like training camp lessons um but but they got that break you know and sometimes that's all it takes you know, and of course they went on to make money in a business you know yeah, so you're, uh, you're talking I got about all you know, of these guys learning to wrestle first but there's also something to be said for being lucky rather than good you know you can't yeah, you can't overlook and, and, that too you know yeah no i'm not taking anything away from their career man i just say i remember them walking in you know and um uh, had that look to them and they was trying to learn, you know, top wrist locks and this and that, you know. Well, remember, they uh, only need to know three things, the headlock, the hammer lock, and the heel lock up, right? A heel lock up. That's yeah. the one. You have to know that heel lock up. Um, and Horace, Horace Boulder, Horace Hogan, man, um, he he come in and he was already doing some stuff with uh, Steve Kearns and Florida Championship over there. And, of course, he had a good connection uh, with that. But um, he, he really wanted to to learn, you know. 
and I, I got to know him pretty good eventually in WCW. Um, but I helped him a little bit when he first came to the camp. Um, he just, um, you know, he just, he honestly, uh, wanted to learn to wrestle, wrestle some. And that's why he came. Cause he'd already been working some for, uh, for Florida championship at the time. But, um, and we talked about Gangrel in a program, I think last week, very briefly, uh, he was leaving when I got there. And, um, anyway, a lot of talented guys hate to leave anyone off that list, but, but, but we, we probably, you know, might miss a person here or there, but Malenko's, uh, like you said, his, the, the legacy, you know, lives on, uh, through the guys he's trained through the years, man. Yeah. And, absolutely. Um, again, we're, we're putting my, I might have to change that category to babyface from what you're hearing, but anyway, it's, um, yeah, I was going to uh, say, you know, he, he's mind, our heel wrestler. Yeah. Keep in mind people, we're talking <laughs> about a heel here. So, you know. Yeah, uh, Bobby King can't, and, and he, can't stop he was. singing his praises, but you know, either way. Um, well, like he used to say, that's whatever, whatever, if, if, whatever, something would happen. Like, say you got that two dollar payoff, you know, and you say, "Ah, oh, Mister Blanket, I'm just throwing it out there. You got the hand, you got the handshake and the hot dog. You got the hot dog and a handshake payoff, you know." You go, mm-hmm. Well, kid, that's better than a cold boot in the ass. <laughs> yeah. So I'm giving I'm giving a little bit more than a cold boot in the ass. How's that? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's keep moving on here. We're going to go on to manager. Yes. Right now and. We're, well, you know, here's the thing. This is going to be one of those ones. That we, we've got him in as a manager, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Um, yeah. Okay, so listen up, you bunch of pencil neck geeks. We're going with Classy right. Freddie Blassie. Oh, man, what a great choice, Professor. What a great choice. One of the all-time greats, man. Yeah. Um, you know, Freddie Blassie, of course, was a huge, huge, well, huge star everywhere he went, but he became a gigantic star here in California, down in uh, down in the LA area, wrestling at the Olympic, WWA mm-hmm. World Champion. Um, he took on like if everybody with a name. I, he you know, yeah. uh, Carpentier, um, Fez, James Blears, even Ricky Dozen came over, got a win over him for the WWA title at one point. Um, yeah. Now, let me interrupt you real briefly. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, from my notes, in 1962, is he he went over and put over Ricky Dozen in, in Japan. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that's and, where uh, it was. Yes. Okay. And you know, this is during the 60s. You know, in Japan, and people just hated a guy. You know, mm-hmm. automatically hated him. Uh, they had their second match there too, and. Um, that's where he bit the head of Ricky Dozen and, you know, claimed um, that hundreds of people died at his matches. Now, the legit part is there were a couple people that died during the match, uh, whether it be live or at home, but a couple people had heart attacks watching his matches because yes. of the blood and the gore of the match at that time. Um, he was known to sharpen his teeth and known as the vampire too, but that, that was a little bit later on, but yeah, he, so that dozen thing, that was a big thing for him to go over there and put the WWA title on, on him in that country. I guess it really established that, um, uh, started to, uh, uh, the, what am I trying to say? The, the, the base, I guess, for foreign wrestlers to come to Japan, you know, yeah. and, and have a, have a open, open door, if you will will into that into that market to to be uh showcased over there yeah so that was a big part well yeah. ricky i'd say probably two of the most influential people in japan ever were ricky dozen and uh uh gotch 
And you know, with yeah. those, when you got those two yeah. guys, you're talking about the grandfathers of all Japanese pro wrestling with those two guys. Yeah. Um, but you know, get back to Blassie here. Blassie would carry a file and file his teeth. Yeah. File. Um, yep. You know, even even as a workman, it still makes my mouth hurt just hearing those words. Uh, you know, those nerve endings, man. When you chip a tooth, mm-hmm. ouch! Imagine filing them down. Ugh. Yeah. Oh man. Ah, god damn it. You know, so I don't uh, even want to think about it. <laughs> Lassie also took credit for making Regis Philbin a star. Yeah, he, he would go on Philbin's early early shows and start throwing chairs in the audience and act like yeah. a madman, furniture stuff. Um, um, he was one of the first wrestlers to appear on TV, appear on TV and movies. He was on like, the Dick Van Dyke show, yes. I think, early on. Uh, did he did he pick up Rob or not? I think he, he picked, picked him up. He maybe? picked him up in a gorilla press and then twirled him around. <laughs> oh man, that's cool, man. Oh uh, man, and he was known as the. Um, the Hollywood fashion plate. Yes. Um, I only bring that up for, uh, well, of course, he's classy, you know, Freddie Blassie, but the Hollywood fashion plate. But he also had another gimmick uh, prior to that, didn't go over too good. He, his family um, had moved from Germany, and he was born in 1918. And, you know, he had boxed, and he'd, he'd done some catch wrestling and stuff. But when he went to serve the war, he was in the Navy, and he come out, and he started off as sailor. Freddie Blassie. And of course, that didn't go over too good, but there's actually some pictures you can find of the sailor, you know, Freddie Blassie. But um, of course, he decided to, I think he first done it in Georgia, uh, bleached his hair and took that heel persona on and became classy Freddie Blassie uh, prior to, to taking back off and, and, and getting out there, you know, making it big in California, like you said, man. But I just found that interesting that he uh, he tried, you know, not every gimmick's for you. Obviously, he wasn't a sailor, but he was a classy son of a bitch, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's, <laughs> so, that's the, the thing, you know, he, he found the right thing to be now, <laughs> you know, before we even talk about his managing stuff. As you get closer to that point in his career where he's managing, he's doing TV movies, he's doing novelty songs. Um, a lot of people may be too young to remember Freddie Blassie himself, but if mm. you've ever listened to like Doctor Demento, you've heard his songs. Yes. You know? If you've heard like a lot yeah. of goofy novelty records, you've heard Pencil Net Geek. There's another one yep. that I can't remember, but. Um, uh, and that's also the name of his book. Listen, you pencil net geeks. Yes. That's the name of his book that he had. Yeah. Well, cause um, Blassie, I read that several, several years ago. Well, and Blassie's old enough that he started in pro wrestling when it was still legitimately like sideshow shit. Yeah. That's, I mean, when he got into it, it was still like a sideshow act at the circus. Um, now we're going to get up, move up on his age a little bit here. When he hit 55, he became mm-hmm. too old to be licensed to wrestle in the state of California. So he switched to management, which eventually led yes. him up to the Northeast, where he probably did the majority of his work as a uh, well-known manager. Was up for mm-hmm. uh, well, first Jess McMahon, and then uh, Vince McMahon Senior, and then a little bit of time for Vince McMahon Junior. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that's really where most of us alive today would really know him from was that period of time. Yeah. Uh, and we gonna... talked about this. I think that was the year of 1974 when he actually started uh, become a manager because of the license issue. Yes. So, you know, most people probably started remembering him where some around maybe the late 70s or early 80s. Uh, when he, even though he'd been managing since 74, once, you know, cable and, and more magazine exposure and, and things like that too. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, 1982, he did, he made a movie with Andy Kaufman, 
my breakfast yeah. my breakfast with Blassie, which was yeah hard to watch. <laughs> As a spoof of my dinner of Andre, yes, uh, where comedian Andy Coffin meets former wrestler Freddie Blassie to discuss topics like personal hygiene. Um, I think you and I watched this. Uh, I had seen bits and pieces of it, but about two years ago, I think that's when we we kind of. That is that sound about right? About two years ago, yeah, we watched that again. I think that's it was in, right. on yeah. YouTube in segments, like it's five different twenty-minute segments or something. It seemed like. Oh yeah. Oh, he, something like that. He rubs the belly of the pregnant waitress and just you know. <laughs> my, my breakfast blassie. Oh. oh, I had something about the tips. Yeah, he read. No, it wasn't. A, was it a Japanese lady rubbed her belly or Korean? I, I, I think I an Asian lady. I'm not sure where. From. Asian lady. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. And, well, go know, watch it, kiddies. Yeah. Well, because you know. Blassie was married to a Japanese woman that he met, I yes, believe, while yeah. he was uh, in the war. And, but yes. yeah, he like rubs her belly and says, "Like now we won't have to tip her or some shit." <laughs> it's just not like that. Yeah, just something. Oh, it was um, horrible. The the other thing I I, I saw, um, I will give some credit to Dave Knows Wrestling. Just so you know, he's got a really good clip up there about Classy Freddie Blassie that I got some information from, um, and it mentioned that. Um, the let's see during the civil rights movement, um, was it uh, WWA title? He dropped it about four or five weeks. Uh, was it to was that to who was that Bobcat or uh, it was Bear, uh, Bearcat? Uh, Bill, Bearcat yeah. right? Does yeah, that I sound think it was right? Bearcat okay, right because and I think it was about four or five weeks before uh, uh, Martin Luther King assassination. And uh, like I said, he was married to an Asian woman, and he stood up for uh, civil rights, you know, and being a professional athlete at that time, that meant something. You know, he had a voice in that. Um, And I think he dropped that title, if I'm not mistaken, about four or five weeks uh, uh, to to a black man, you know, um, the WWA title. And um, like I said, he's doing business with Japanese, uh, uh, African-Americans, you know, it's just... um, kind of shows what kind of person he was. He also had done business in 1976 with uh, uh, someone you might, might know, uh, Muhammad Ali. Yep. Um, he said, go get Freddie Blassie. And because he knew he could talk, and he also knew he was tough uh, when he was getting ready to fight uh, Anoki. So uh, Blassie was a part of that, you know. Here you have classy Freddie Blassie. Think about this. And, and we talked about Muhammad Ali on the other, you know, in that match. They'd already done a thing where uh, Gorilla Monsoon had spun him around Ali, I guess. And then also, um, as we'll find out, and Anoki, uh, uh, he had Carl Gotch in his corner. I mean, think of all them damn tough guys, man. Yeah. You you had to be tough to be up there, well, you know. Was Gene so, LaBelle uh, the ref? Or and Gene LaBelle's the referee, as you yeah. pointed out, yes. And uh, I dare say no one was going to fuck around with him in there, man, as yeah. we've talked about. Um, yeah, um, so it was Bearcat right, and, she, and I, I know yeah. we've hinted at this before. Uh, when they expected Bearcat Wright to drop the title, he w- wasn't going to do it. So what they had done was put a match together with Wright and Blassie. Yeah. And then they had Wright, Wright come out to the ring, and then they substituted Gene LaBelle for Blassie. Right. 
Right. And then he's just so, like, all right, fuck it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's true. And also on our um, our YouTube channel, just throwing this out there again, and Jeremy's in a uh, process of making some changes to try to get this thing. We've, we've got a YouTube channel that we really have no control over, uh, and I won't go into the great details, but it's got almost 10,000 uh, subscribers, and it's got over 2 million views. But uh, on there, uh, we mentioned... Uh, Malenko with number five, one greatest uh, regional heels. Uh, Classy Freddy Blassie uh, came in third, I think, on our uh, managers last when we done top ten managers in pro wrestling. And we did Heenan and Cornette and then uh, Blassie, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, it's on there for about 5,000 views. You can check out what, you know, some more stuff that we didn't talk about today on here about Classy Freddy Blassie. Um, that just goes to show, though, what kind of quality podcasting you're getting we go this deep do these deep dives on these guys yeah. but a uh, classy freddie blassie could have easily been a uh, a first you know our first time around but we decided to do two hall of fames each year for the next couple of years you know and this is just our second class about six months uh after during our first class and that's kind of what we're going to do just like we do the deep dives into year-end pipe programs and stuff like that so um anything else on blast before we move on yeah i'm going to throw out the names of some of the people he managed here okay great good idea yeah nikolai volkoff the iron sheik i think most of us will remember that Blackjack Mulligan, High Chief Peter Maivia, a local guy and also the father of the rock, or the grandfather of the rock. Um, mm-hmm. The Crippler, Ray Stevens, Adrian Adonis, Jesse Ventura, Dick Murdoch, Sweet Hanson, Killer Khan, George the Animal Steel, Professor Tanaka, Mr. Fuji, Victor Rivera, Kamala, Hercules Hernandez, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Did he manage Hogan on that first run there? Is that what it was? Yes, I believe the first time he came in before Hogan went to the AWA. Uh, Right. Okay, that's what I was thinking too. Maybe 81 or so? Something like that? I think that would be right. I'd I'd, I'd have to check, but that sounds right. Yeah, I'm just throwing that out out there. It seemed like he had that, just a short run up there, Um, you know, early 80s, obviously, before he came out of Thunder Lips. That was around 83, so someone had to be 81, 82 probably. Just a guess. Just a guess, but hell, what a list of people. Um, the clientele that won't be showcased with the, excuse me, the Hollywood fashion plate, you know? He was so. a sharp dresser. I got to get me some of those jackets. <laughs> All right. Well, that'd be um, nice, man. I can see you like that, Professor. Yeah, that'd be a good look. Um, before we do the tag teams, Bobby, not only do you have a podcast, I understand you're an author. Yes, I've written a couple books, man, and I think I'll plug them right now. Thanks for the segue. <laughs> All right, so my first book is called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boost Will Travel. Um, it came out a few years ago, and you can find that book on Amazon. But what the professor has done, being a knowledgeable man he is, the all-knowing, all-seeing, great wizard um, of the internet here. He's put a little link that you can get to that'll help help our program get a little bit of kickback if you go through the links to purchase one of my books. Um, you go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 and that'll take you right to my book, Pin Me, Pay Me. Um, my second book is called I Kicked Out on Two, The Educational Wrestler. The way the professor has that set up is, now pay close attention, it's tinyurl dot com slash blaze book two and that'll take you right to that book again the program does get a small percentage back uh, into the amazon um, affiliate account and i appreciate you taking the time to buy a book because i like keeping my books out there obviously for 
consumption. And also you might learn a thing from each book. Uh, both books have several. Uh, Pin Me, Pay Me has over 100 reviews, uh, averaging out to about a 4.5. Um, and then I think there's almost close to 30 reviews now on um, I Kicked Out on Two. So again, the Amazon, just you, if you go to there, that's fine. But please consider using the sites that the professor set up. And that is tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 for Pin Me, Pay Me. And also the second book, I Kicked Out on Two, The Education Wrestler. Just go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2. Thank you, Professor. Yep. All right. So, uh, Bobby, we're going to go on to some people you know quite a bit about here. Uh, they were they were all over the place in the South there. The, the Rock and Roll Express goes in as our tag team nomination on our second group of inductees. Oh, man. 100% what are... legitimate and official Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Yeah, what a great addition to our Hall of Fame, uh, especially following the coattails of the greatest tag team of all time, the Midnight Express. And probably uh, neither team, uh, as successful as they were, would not have been the mega success they were without each other. So uh, Ricky and Robert, man, they just... Um, they do get that heat on Ricky Morton, make the hot tab to, to tag to Robert Gibson and boom it a boom it a bang. And then, you know, there's your comeback and double drop kick and they're over or whatever the finish is, you know. But those guys, man, they could work uh, and draw, draw, draw the sympathy of the people when Ricky Morton's in a ring just selling and looking out there to people, whether he's got juice or not, or they're just grabbing an arm, he's selling and selling and there's beating them down. And then, you know, finally, you know, he crawls through the legs or does the flip around and rolls through and tags hoot, boom, you know, big punch, big punch, uh, shoot one in, backdrop, backdrop, hip toss, hip toss, whatever it may be. But that time, Ricky's got a little bit of steam back. They come in, do the double team, uh, boom, one of them drop out, double drop kick, one, two, three, and what, they're nine-time world champions at that point? <laughs> Uh, they get nine, it close. <laughs> well, they were nine-time NWA champions uh, two years ago when they picked it up briefly. Um, yeah. And what I didn't know this this was kind of shocking to me. They were ten-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, tag champs. Now, I didn't know it was that many. I didn't know it changed hands that many times. Yeah. I just knew pretty much they had the title the whole time I was there, but I didn't know it had changed hands that. Many times. Well, they, they are. Uh, they I mean, are, I knew the Heavenly Bodies had it. I knew other people did, but damn, ten time yeah, Smoky Mountain. I, mean, I have to imagine one is that last time, just a few years ago, when Cornette had them up for a match, and then it was like you know the last match, and then he awarded them the Smoky Mountain titles at the end. I have to assume one of those is that. I yeah, have, I have to. Assume and I think that was that. against the. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that was against the Heat Seekers, Elliot and uh, Sigmund. If I'm not mistaken, um, I think that's correct. Yeah, and those are good guys, too. If you want to see a good independent tag team, and if anyone listening right now sees them guys, tell them Bobby Blaze put them over my podcast because they're both really good guys. Um, but you know, on this uh, rock and roll on our list, uh, we had them as the number four uh, tag team. Um, I think we had them behind the Bulldogs, if I'm not mistaken. But um, uh, And, of course, the uh, maybe they were number three. Um, and also besides like I said Midnight Express, but that, that one there has about a hundred or excuse me, 15,000 views. If you ever go check that one out where Jeremy and I take a little bit deeper dive into the, the careers of, of Ricky and Robert. And I'm going to tell you what, man, uh, when I first met these guys, I was coming in, I'd been up in Canada. <clears throat> 
then I got to try out with, with uh, uh, Smoky Mountain. And, and part of the reason, I was just telling someone the other day, part of the reason I got a tryout uh, where I actually got, yeah, I got a, got a job was um, I had a tryout match. And um, then they had a bluegrass brawl, the very first one in Pikeville, Kentucky. And Robert Gibson hurt his ankle. And that's the first of April when they do that, that first weekend for Hillbilly Days. And Cornette, of course, had remembered he had my name and information. And Hoot was driving in from uh, Pensacola, and he, like I said, hurt his ankle. So Jimmy called me and asked me if I want to do this four-day loop uh, all up here in Kentucky. And um, I did four days with them, and I got to work with Tom Pritchard in the first match, you know, of every night. They they moved someone else up on the card, and Doc and I opened the, the match. And here I am getting to showcase my work, like I said before, uh, with Doc and also with Cornette right there owning it, getting to see me work up close and personal, you know. And um, I put Doc over you know two or three nights there in a row whatever it was uh then one night they put me over in a battle royal I'm like whoa what's going on here and the last night of the tour hildebrand come to me or mark Curtis come to me and said bobby what's your finish and i said uh putting doc over <laughs> and he goes no no we brought someone in for you tonight corny wants you to go over we was in paintsville kentucky about an hour from my house got a lot of relatives there and boom i got to do a uh, drop kick off the top rope um uh, Almost as good, and I won't say almost as good as uh, Ricky Gibson, Robert's older brother. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, uh, uh, that's kind of my connection to that there, just saying that uh, I didn't do it at that time for that reason. But uh, because Robert got hurt, unfortunately, I got to fill in, and eventually that led to a job. And those guys took me under their wings, man. They taught me how to do the gimmick wars. And Ricky said, watch me learn how to – you want to learn how to sell, Bobby? Watch me, you know. And um, I, I've – been on the road with both of them throughout Smoky Mountain. Uh, uh, we did other tours I've been to. You know, Robert Gibson and myself used to run a, a show in West Virginia once a year for a for a fall festival type thing. And, and of course, him and Ricky come in and work on top every time. It's just really nice, you know, to be around those guys um, professionally and personally. And what I was going to say from the first time I met them. They never have changed. They've always been, whether they've been up or they've been down or whatever. And I never forget, I sit in the locker room and uh, I was with Ricky and Robert. We're just talking and saying, we're getting ready to run Ashland and they're going to be the attraction, the main event. I'm going to be the semi main. And I was talking to Sandy Scott and he said, Bobby, I'm going to tell you something. As long as I've known these guys, and he said, I'm going back many, many years. And he said, whether they've been on top or been on the bottom, because they, you know, they all worked in NWA there together through uh, Crockett Promotions. And he said, these guys here have never changed. They're the same. They treat everyone the same. And I'm going to tell you what, the, the, when the fans come to see them, uh, they just treat the fans like a fan wants to be treated, man. You know, you got these two good-looking babyface wrestlers, and they take the time to sign every autograph they can sign. They take the time to talk to the fans, listen to the fans, and when they go out in a ring and they're still out there today, you know, doing it, doing their thing, um, they give it their all, man. And they're, they're um, highly athletic and highly entertaining. Um, the Rock and Roll Express. And, and uh, can sell. I mean, just, you know, when... <laughs> Ricky Morton's getting an ass whooping. He he just you buy it. I mean you're like one hundred percent. Oh yeah, there. yeah, absolutely, absolutely, uh, man. Yeah, it just you know, it, I almost hate to see them so wrestling, but then you get them in the ring, you're like, you know what? They they still got a little gas in the tank, <laughs> you know? They're, oh they're yeah, doing okay, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. But yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, just you know, 
probably probably the last time it ever happened, but I remember girls at school talking about them and we we're here in California, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you know, that's yeah. back when back when girls still watch wrestling to see the hot dudes. You know, if I was to open a wrestling company because I needed to get rid of some money quick, I'd I'd uh, let it I'd have it free for women to come in. I just oh, women don't pay. Just come on in. You're all you're all coming in here because once once well, this ladies' get, night for the yep. fucking uh, damn. Once, once <laughs> dudes find out that there's chicks there, they'll start paying to come in. You know. There you go, man. And I hear you. Everything in the concession stand we priced extra high too to make up for the extra trip. high. I got you. Extra salt in that popcorn, isn't exactly, there? Exactly. Exactly. Beers are ten bucks each. Yeah. Oh shit. Well, it's California. Oh, you can do that here. Yeah. You know? Now, I was listening to a station in New York the other day, and it was doing a happy hour uh, in Hoboken, New Jersey, and a fucking $8 for an Amstel Light, and that's during happy hour. Yeah. I mean, I know it's an import, but I'm like, what is it when it's not happy hour, you know? Damn. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a cheap beer drinker. Amstel Light, I love it, but I'm not paying no eight fucking dollars during a happy hour for it. I've got, a, I've got a buddy who's a beer maker, you know, and... Um... He'll go out of his way to go to places and try out different beers, and then every time he goes, goes to one, I'll get like a text message or something like "fucking eighteen dollars for a beer," you know. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> dude, if you just order a Bud Light, you know, it'd be like three bucks. Yeah. And you can move on. You know? <laughs> Shit, I'll just tell him if they uh, you ain't got a Miller Light, give me a fucking PBR. I'll take a PBR for the fucking Red Team every time, man. I was oh. like, uh, you know, uh, that Pat, uh, the reference there being Apocalypse Now, you know, that'll get you a case of beer. Red Team, right? Just rap, oh, rapping and shooting, and then they're walking away with the beer at the end of the deal so, you know you know um, <laughs> when when our kid passed away back in 0708 and it was during the uh the recession so nobody was working a bar that was almost walking distance from where i lived had pbr pitchers for seven bucks mm. and i remember about a two-week period there about every second or third day me and my buddy would go down there and end up just shit face raving <laughs> truck you know, because, <laughs> you know, what else are you going to do right now? But, right. oh, my God, I mean, we're just, and PBR's got that syrupy taste. It's not, that's not quite right, but, you know, it's got that, that aftertaste, and that bitterness. Yeah, the first there's date. an aftertaste. Yeah, and I remember having that in my mouth for, like, two days straight one time. No matter how much <laughs> I brushed my teeth, that fucking aftertaste was in my mouth. So yeah, It'll give you a big power shit the next day, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll so blow I, the back yeah. and commode out. <laughs> I still I, I still like PBR, but it does, like, occasionally I'll taste it, and I'll have, like, a flashback to a really hard period of my life. I'm just like, yeah, no, I got you. We're, 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 uh, we're going to drink something else, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll occasionally, I get, like I said, I get Miller Lite, but sometimes, I mix it up and I'll go get we talked about tall boys I'll go get three you and I did not everyone else at this point <laughs> just yeah. smarten you up we talked about prior <coughs> coming on um, sometimes I'll go get three tall boys and one of them be a PBR and I'll get a Miller Lite um, that'll be my last one but I'll get a Miller High Life as well and, and I'll fun. usually start with the PBR and then I go to the highlight, the the champagne of beer with the highlight, at high life. And then 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 I work it out with the okay. Now it's probably time to get a little bite to eat, and I'll have that with my Miller Lite, you know. Yeah. So uh, I still do that sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's um, uh, that Miller High Life. That's one I've never Miller High Life and Coors Light, two two macro brews that I just cannot get my fucking brain around the. Uh, I take a Miller High Life any time I can get one. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. You like, buy a six-pack of them bottles, man. Uh, they, when that first one goes down, it's over. Yeah. You yeah. might as well know you're going to do the six-pack. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's going pretty quick after that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, enough of the beer, enough of the rock and roll, enough of the drug, sex, and rock and roll. We got mm-hmm. a podcast to do here, man. Right. So what category are we going next? We went heel, and we went tag team, and we went manager. Where are we going to next, Professor? Well, next, we're going babyface. Oh, okay. And by babyface, um, I mean we're going to go with Sylvester Ritter, a.k.a. Bobby. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the junkyard dog man, JYD, or as Iron Sheik could say, a JVD, a JVD, my baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, JYD, junkyard dog. But you know, um, we took we put it to vote, Jeremy. Yes, we did. Someone else was in there running for this. This being our second class to one hundred percent legit, you know, Hall of Fame. We took a vote because someone else was in this running, and that was Tommy Rich. That's right. And we about made him the baby face in our second class. But tell them the results of the vote, Jeremy. Well, please. so uh, Junkyard Dog won two to zero. <laughs> Over time, <laughs> our staff got together and voted yes, on that. That was the staff vote, <laughs> two to zero. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't. We got a huge baby face right here with uh, and Tommy. We haven't forgot about you. you. May come up on something else we don't know yet. But uh, he was one of our regional baby faces. I think he was number one on that. I think. He uh, was, I yeah. think we had number six was uh, JYD was number six on that list. And I listened to the first minute and, and I said it right away and I did listen to the rest of it. But I did for that reason, it said, uh, we'd like to put an argument out there that JYD could be a lot higher up on this list. But at that time we had actually done a special on JYD, why we love the junkyard dog and like 10 reasons why. And it was, it, that show got over so good and we've been talking about him so much. Um, think of the time we was even contact with the uh, 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 Book of the Territory, talking to Mike and those guys over there. And we just, he was getting a lot of publicity in our show. And we're like, we're running, we're, we're kind of running a JYD show here, you know? So we, we moved him up there to like, you know, number six. We had some other people we really wanted to talk about. And again, because it was voted, you know, that, okay, this is this is our program. This is where we're putting them at. But uh, obviously he was a huge baby face, man. JYD, oh. talk to me, Jeremy. Uh, just, yeah, um... Well, okay, so I know him from his time in the WWF, obviously. But if you know him from his time down in uh, Mid-South, this guy was probably the biggest star there was. Yeah. I, I, you know what? There's no probably about it. That guy was the biggest star there was. Um, and was it like Sean or, or Adam, one of those guys, I think might have been Sean, I don't remember who, but said that it was even in the racist South kind of thing. Like it was the kind of guy that mm-hmm. you know that men wanted to be like, and your grandma wanted to hug, kind of thing. And it's just mm-hmm. the guy was just a gigantic star across the racial barrier. Um, you know, coming out to Queens, another one bites the dust. I just yes, everything about the guy, you know, that thump. Um, yep, gigantic, gigantic star, and I don't know if a lot of us who were outside that area really realized just how big a star he was. Right. I, I doubt it either until, you know, later on. And, of course, now we're reflecting back with hindsight being 2020. But I had um, I talked to Mike about this, and, and I think it came up uh, during our podcast. We had um, Adam and, and uh, Sparks on there, and that was, uh, you know, he ran at that the paper there and uh, 
New Orleans ran that contest of most popular athlete, and it was Archie Manning from football. He was a, a dadgum legend from LSU, and and uh, uh, Pistol Pete Maravich the same for basketball. Uh, so you had you know a guy from the Saints, a guy from the Jazz, and you had a professional wrestler. You know, Junkyard Dog, and I guess Junkyard Dog just, you know, won by a landslide, man, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to show you what kind of athlete, you know, or popularity he had as an athlete and uh, people looking up to him and stuff. And like you said, uh, you've mentioned this before, and you, you've probably worded it more eloquently than I will, but you was talking about, uh, imagine being in a, a poor rural south like that, and, you know, Junkyard Dog comes to your local high school. Yeah. You know, a, the guy you see on TV every week, and now he's wrestling at the, you know, armory or the high school or the boys club and what have you. Uh, what kind of influence that had on those kids or even the young adults that got to see him, man? Here's, here's a guy that's, you know, a black professional athlete, and we can actually see him and touch him and talk to him and get his autograph. You know, it's just, uh, that, that's just phenomenal, man, uh, the way he got over so yeah and you know i i kind of wonder if you know because like little spot shows and and small house shows aren't really a thing anymore i wonder how much that contributes to wrestling slump that it's in right now because you don't have the big hero going to the high schools and the the armories like you used to you know yeah yeah usually like the shows the independent shows you know uh you know you know get someone maybe just fresh off tv and you know come in for you know some money for here or there but as far as you know on a weekly basis of you know we're going to see this guy coming through the territory you know or working in our area as it may be for the next several weeks or even months that that's that's probably is what missing and that interaction you go to a wwe show um and it's not dig towards anyone in particular just saying you know the buses pull up guys get out and um you know they fly into the airport, get a rental car, drive underneath the tunnel. You know, the fans don't just get to interact like they used to, you know. Yeah. Uh, they just don't have time to shake everyone's hand and sign personal autographs out back like they used to. You know, when I went uh, as, as a fan, you know, I'd be out back all the time. I wasn't seeking autographs, but, man, I just I wanted to see the guys. You know, I wanted to say, oh, fuck, you know. Uh, uh, you know, Road Warriors here tonight, you know. Oh, yeah. I remember being, being in a restroom at a show, um, and – the uh, uh, the talk was someone come in and said, man, I just saw the Road Warriors pull up. And they wasn't even advertised. And everyone in the bathroom is kind of like, oh, really? You know, because someone just come in and said it. And I'm not saying anyone stopped pissing and looked or whatever. But, you know, just being wrestling fans, everyone's like, oh, really? And the guy's like, yeah, I saw them pull up, man. They're actually here. And um, like I said, it wasn't even advertised. And sure enough, they were there, you know. And it was just one of those things a guy had been out back watching for him or whatever, watching who was coming in. You know, you missed those times, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah not so it. much staying at a urinal as it is being announced that, you know, some major stars are there that night that you didn't expect to see, you know. So, uh, but yeah, JYD, I got to uh, tour uh, Australia with him. And that was pretty cool. And then when he came home, we got we got home from that. He actually um, uh, done several independent shows. Uh, he done some work for Southern States Wrestling uh, out of Tennessee, as well as uh, he done Bobby Fulton's Big Time Wrestling. So he was in this area quite a bit um, shortly after our uh, trip over to uh, Australia. And I think I've told the story before. Um, very briefly, how that was the weekend that I I was booked for Smoky Mountain. Uh, for three or four days down in Virginia and uh, WCW was coming to the uh, National Guard Armory here, small venue 
uh, compared to what they used to do. And he came into the YMCA. My mom was working the front desk, and uh, you know he come in and up. Uh, oh, I forgot my wallet, and uh, he turned around and walked away. And she goes, "That's all right, Sylvester." And he turned back around, and goes, "How you know my name?" And she goes, "I know your name, Sylvester Ritter." And he come back over, he's like, "Hey, K. Fabe, hush, hush," you know. And and it was it was it was on a Saturday, you know, earlier in the morning. It wasn't a lot of people there in the lobby area, I'm sure. But anyway, like, "How you know that?" And she goes, "You know, I'm 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 Bobby Blaze's mom, and uh, I saw the itinerary for Australia. Uh, I went through it with them, you know, before y'all left and stuff." And she goes, "I, I knew you." And man, he just man, he just smiled. And, you know all that she goes go on in and then i was on a bobby fulton show the next weekend because i wasn't full time smoky yet and i don't know it's down near cincinnati or up towards pittsburgh somewhere in ohio and you know for bobby it could be anywhere but uh i walked in there was jyd and i didn't get to say anything of course we've been over in australia for you know 20 some odd days on a tour bus together eating together you know hanging out together in a locker room together and uh man i just was going to go over and you know, say hey to him, shake his hand, and ask him, did, you know, did you meet my mom? Before I got even close, he was like, Bobby Blaze, man, I met your mama last week, man, what a sweetheart. He just started putting her over, you know. I like, man, right on. She told me she did, you know, and it was just very cool, you know, to get like that. But um, over in Australia, man, you know, them, them guys were over. He was over over there, uh, fresh off at WWF TV at the time, you know, and, uh, Still, people just run into that baby face, you know. They hadn't had wrestling there of that caliber for a long time. And uh, anyway, he's a good old dude, man. Um, I remember getting on a, you know, tour buses, and he treated everyone really nice, you know. Uh, had a good time, had a good tour, you know, and uh, treated everyone right, man. So uh, I like to remember that time with JYD. Yeah, so, that, good that's, times. That's pretty cool. I always, baby face. I always love that story about your mom. <laughs> yeah, and I know I probably tell it too much, but you know what? Uh, tomorrow's her birthday, man. Would have been her birthday. Um, she's no longer with us. Uh, but um, yeah, so by the time you all hear this program uh, on Tuesday, uh, October twenty fifth, uh, you know, I said, you know, my mom's birthday, and I always I remember about every day anyway. You know, it's yeah, kind of like yeah. the Malenko thing. Someone's so influential in your life, but uh, maybe that's why I told it because it's really, really on my mind today. But that's um, a good story to share, man. Because he popped for it, you know. He oh yeah, for no, that's that's great. Yeah. Story. I can just imagine like the look on somebody's face like well, what the fuck are you doing you know saying my real name <laughs> yeah 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 he's uh, he, he, he spun back around her real quick she said you know like hey how you know that you know yeah but they had a good laugh and a a, a good talk you know um and and it's all good so that's that's cool man that's real cool we got anything else to say more about jyd jvt um, <laughs> no because you know what on, on jyd we should probably just wait for sean and adam to tell us what we got wrong you know, <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and of course, um, let me make mention real quickly. Sometime in the near future, um, I mentioned um, it's not real, real near future, but the way fucking things are moving, it could be. Um, I talked about that show, uh, Dave Knows Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got some notes on Blassie from that. He's going to be co-hosting this program uh, sometime, I think, in April. And as are uh, uh, Sparks and um, Sean and um, Adam. So, yeah. you know, just kind of 
uh, made mention of that. I'm sure they'll come one. They'll be able to talk about junkyard dog all day, every day. You know, and tell us what we missed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, good point. No, I've fallen. I've fallen behind on Dave's show a little bit. Um, you know, every time I see it pop up, it's him doing his live stuff, and yeah, I just. I just that isn't what I find entertaining on his show. So I'm just having. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you. I, I, I stumbled upon it, to be honest with you, the way I typed it in. And it was like one of the first things in there. I said, oh, this is, it, it was it was even better than what I expected for for because he done. Like I said, he done a little bio on it. And I was like, oh, this is cool, man. I'm glad he was out there doing it. So wish him luck on his podcast, of course. Of course. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, Where are we at, man? I was going to say, he does a great show. Well, we are at our last entrance uh, entrant for the year here. And we are going to go on to the great Carl Gotch. Yes. Um, you know, who obviously, uh, they call him German, but he was Belgian. Probably spoke more French mm-hmm. than German. Hard to say, though. When you met him, he spoke English. <laughs> Um, but yes, yeah. in a very strong authoritarian voice, yeah. gotch, <laughs> um, the god of wrestling in Japan, man. That's that's god of wrestling is, in yeah, Japan. he was probably the, the most influential, and if not the second most influential man in pro wrestling in Japan. Um, all the guys, yeah. all the guys there were basically trained by him or by one of his students at this point. Right, um, you know that's that shoot style tough guy kind of old school, old fashioned pro wrestling. That's one hundred percent gotch. Um, yeah. And then I was watching a wrestling show the other day, and uh, Minoru Suzuki. Or no, it's been a few weeks. Minoru Suzuki gave somebody a gotch pile driver, but they kept mm. calling it a cradle pile driver, which I did not care for. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it said he invented that. I, you know, I just think he just the way he tucked people over. Um, I've seen it done. I, I don't know. He, it is kind of a cradle, I guess, the way the guy's body's already crunched over. But, um, yeah, I don't know if that's, uh, whatever it is, what it is, right? Yeah. But you know, if it's a move that gotch legitimately created, then keep his fucking name on it. You know, I agree with you. I agree with the gotch pile driver, you know, but, uh, of course the German suplex, you know, with that Mm -hmm. there, he could just, when he, when you. You know, I, I talked to a friend of mine. It's been oh, about a year, year and a half ago now. I asked him how he how legit because uh, Malenko had told me that he German suplexed um, that Gotcha German suplexed Andre the Giant, and one of Gotcha's students, Willie Wilkinson Jr. And I was in Japan with him. He lived over there for like five years. He'd done a shoot style, and he also was a policeman for Michinoku. He trained under Gotch in Florida, and um, he, he said, he said, yeah, Bobby, it's, it's a shoot. Carl didn't fuck around. If he said that, you know, if word was that he suplexed Andre, then he did it. So um, I think it took place like Brazil or somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I have heard that. Um, then one of his other students, uh, just Jody Simon, also Joe Malenko, you know. Yeah. He started training, um, and I heard this first. <laughs> well, I knew he had trained with uh, uh, Carl, but uh, Joe told me when he started, he was just a young boy, of course. And uh, like the very first day, uh, Carl had him do like, told him get in a corner, 
and, and showed him how to do Hindu squats. And Jody started doing Hindus. And he said, man, he said, I was like crying, man. You know, he's he just a young boy. He's like nine or 10 years old. And he said he, he thinks he'd done like 75 of them or something. You know, and he goes, all right, see you tomorrow. You know, and then he was like coming home with bruises and you know, nose busted and black eyes. And, you know, just uh, Carl wasn't uh, abusing him. He was teaching him, you know, and yeah. till you learn, you know, nothing but respect, you know. Um, but Carl was known for his conditioning, of course. Uh, I've told several different stories um, about how at one point he heard some Indian wrestler had done 9,000 Hindu squats. Well, Carl done 9,001. I heard that from several of the guys. Another guy from Australia, Greg Smith, told me that story, as did Willie. They backed it up that he just flipped his TV on and went and started doing squats all damn day. Um, I was listening to um, Ken Shamrock. Uh, and Jerry Briscoe earlier, and uh, you know, new stuff comes out every once in a while. You hear, and they was bringing up Gotch that's trying to keep the memory of Carl Gotch alive. And he would—I've heard this before—that he could do. He he had the the Gotch the the uh, Gotch Bible of cards or card of Bible card Bible. Um, he would take a book of uh, uh, cards, and you would do. You know, whatever was on there, like maybe a spade equaled Hindu squats, uh, a diamond meant diamond push-ups, uh, uh, a club, you had to do jump squats, and then like a heart, you had to do like regular or Hindu push-ups, but you did like whatever equipment, if it was an ace, you did like 50, um, if it was a face card, you done like 10, you know, or 25, just whatever it was. Gotch could go through that thing twice. He had two decks of cards, or he'd go through a regular deck twice, and um, um, uh, pretty cool yeah, you know, the conditioning thing, level. The thing I had heard about Gotch is that he only briefly attempted working out with weights, and yeah. he, just, he didn't care for it. was either the results or the exercise themselves. I don't remember which, yeah. but he didn't like something about it. And he preferred the idea of doing exercises similar to gymnasts because yes. he said, if there's any two people who can immediately snatch and lift a human kind of weight over their own head, it's pro wrestlers and gymnasts. Yes. And I that, personally heard Carl say, uh, Gymnastics is as wrestling sister sport, mm -hmm. so that's why he said that. Um, there's a, a show on uh, YouTube. It's still up. It's called My Cigar of Carl. It's about 45 minutes. One of the last things he done. Just a little interview. Um, him sitting on his porch talking to to a young guy having a cigar. Um, I heard Carl didn't like that too well, even after it was out, but I, I don't know. That's just what I heard from one of his, his former students. Uh, so I don't, I've watched it. It's not been recent, but there was an article in gain magazine from as a reprint from way back in like 1968 or so. And it talked about him taking a year off to do weights. And he said, I'll just see, you know, just to, I, he, he, I can't remember how it happened exactly, but um, he, he decided, okay, I'll give this a try. And I guess he put up in a ring and squatted like six or 700 pounds. They put him up in a ring. He did that to show him that, you know, that's just one time. But if you do thousands of these Hindu squats, you know, you'll, you, you know, same thing with bench press. He bench pressed like four or 500 pounds and never lift weights, but to said, you know, if you do all these push ups, you know, this is this is the equivalent. You only do it at one time. I can do this all day long, you know. And that's the wrestling. And then conditioning is your is your best hold in wrestling. You know that was his. Yeah, Malenko said that as well. You know, but conditioning is the best hold in wrestling. And um, 
yeah, that's what he did. He he had uh he would do Hindu squats, Hindu push-ups, and and several different kind of push-ups, of course, and a neck bridge. He he always did neck bridges. That was his uh the the king's court he would call it. You know those three domain exercises. Now he had uh, ropes. You know rope pulling, uh, climbing ropes. Uh, they would do these all kinds of different weird push-ups. He had a push-up board that you do. Uh, just all kinds of these different push-ups, the one you know. Um, but yeah, Carl was. Uh, uh, I would go back to the wrestling part. Uh, yeah, he wrestled 1948 Olympics. He had amateur background wrestling, and then of course, uh, as he got older and become a professional, I think he spent. Uh, I know it was at least a year, but it might have been two years. He went over uh, to Wiggins and studied uh, at the Snake Pit for a couple years, and that's where I guess he really sharpened his uh, skills up at. You know. Uh, as far as the catch and catch can and and a shooting style, you know, got with those old timers um, over there. Uh, and anyway, he's our wrestler, that's for sure, for our second class. Yep, he's he's one of those guys that you know, if if you don't know much about him, it's a, at least worth looking into just to understand where where his influence on the industry yeah. lies. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, he was a contemporary with Fez. Now, I I can't remember if I had heard this or if it's just something I'm thinking of, I think he and Thez hated each other or didn't like each other until they were quite at older. one point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was some heat from, um, uh, I think, uh, Malenko as well. And I told you, I've got these letters. They actually put in the wrestling observer. Uh, Carl had written one as Malenko uh, with a gentleman's agreement that he was more than welcome to come and work, t- work out at their gyms in Tampa. And this was in the, um, uh, uh early to mid nineties when they, when they did that. And what happened from what my understanding was some of the heat generator from, uh, Thez didn't want to do the quote tank towns, you know, the smaller towns of the champion. He didn't want to go to those towns. Uh, I'm the champion. I need to go to the bigger cities. That was part of it. And I don't know if that's arrogance, cockiness, or, Hey, I'm the champ. I don't, you know, I'm not going there for a cheap payoff. You know, I don't know. Uh, the other thing was, um, Apparently, he thought that none of the under undercard guys uh, deserved to make more than $100 a night. Uh, mm-hmm. Where your position on a card was, uh, even if you main evented somewhere, um, and, and whether, of course, you're talking about NWA territory, traveling around and stuff, uh, he didn't think the underboys deserved to be paid off $100. That, that's where I heard some of that stemmed from. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, also, I guess there was part of this. I may get this a little bit wrong. In Columbus, Ohio, it was um, uh, Carl was in a locker room, um, and they got uh, Big Bill Miller. I can't think who was with them at the time, but it, one of them, left, Bill Miller, left the locker room with a broken arm or a twisted arm, twisted up hand, whatever it was. I guess that was over a payoff. So some people, I guess, I can't think who was in the locker room with him. I, I'm drawing a complete blank now. But anyway, he just told him get the door, and one of them got the door, and Carl got Bill Miller, and because he was a payoff guy, I guess, and big guy, and whatever happened happened. You know, business is a lot different than it is today, of course. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that was a little bit of heat there. But also, I think from the letters I read uh, that were in the um, the Wrestling Observer, uh, they were reaching out as gentlemen. We're older now, you know. We have told you before. Uh, I think even Malenko. He would do that Roman belly, um, uh, Thez would do that Roman uh, suplex, the belly to back, and he'd drop you real up high, mm-hmm. and he'd get mad if you tried to block it. And uh, I know Carl didn't like that because Carl could block it. And um, 
I know Malenko didn't like taking it, you know, but um, they just basically wrote those letters that, you know, um, you were trying to, to hurt people when we're trying to work together and make money and blah, blah, blah. Now we're older, but you're, you're more than welcome. If you ever come, if you're in this area, please come by the gym. You're more welcome to let old old news be old news or whatever, you know. Yeah. So uh, maybe in the end he responded, maybe he didn't. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, there was some legit heat there at one point. I do know that. And that's just the way I've heard it, and I'm passing it on to you and our audience uh, for what it's worth. But um, I wouldn't fuck with any of the three of them. Shit, So no. Daz is our first wrestler in our first <laughs> class of Hall of Fame. We got Gotch in our second class as a wrestler in our Hall of Fame. And we got Malenko as a heel. So them three, all of them are tough bastards in my book, man. <laughs> so <laughs> um, let them let them fight it out, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, right there you got Jerry Jerry Briscoe said that um he thought um he thought Goss could take Thez anytime he wanted, you know. Um and I've heard that before. And I think also, you know, a lot of promoters, once you hurt someone, they have that mentality that they're gonna win at any cost. And if you're willing to hurt someone, you're probably gonna win that fight. Um I've heard different things and, and what that does is it makes people scared of wrestling with you if they know they're gonna hurt you, you know. Uh Ken Shamrock was on this interview and he was talking about how many years it took him to work to show that he was willing to work, that he didn't he wasn't trying to hurt someone when it come to work and you know. And um, that some people want to do business and make money and other people, they just, you know, they got that mentality of, you know, you're not fucking beat me. It may be a work, but, um, you know, okay, if you're going to beat me, I'm still going to do what I want to do. And I think that's why he uh, was so well taken over in Japan is because, you know, he had that mentality of kill or be killed and I'm the killer. You know, I, I heard tell that, you know, he went to a, um, uh, a judo school and, and uh, work from top to bottom, beat everyone there. They hand him a black belt, you know, that yeah. day. Like, oh, you know, come back. You know, don't come back, but hey, come back, you know. And um, I know that one uh, one interview you want to air on that, uh, uh, my cigar, Carl, like his wife was quoted saying, like, he come in and he had blood all over his, his gi. And she's like, oh, my God, you know, what do they do to you? He goes, this is not my blood. <laughs> Yeah. I guess he'd beat like seven guys up and oh, got the black belt. You know, I don't know what the whole story was, but yeah, it wasn't his blood. You know, uh, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> but, uh, man. I, I hope you like this hall of fame, Jeremy. I, I do. I like everybody in here. Um, yeah. You know, these are all guys. I mean, obviously, you know, we could fill hours and hours and hours talking about them, but we do have to call it quits at some point. Yes, but, we do. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm interested, especially like Carl Gotch fascinates me a little bit because it just he, just such an interesting background in history and legacy, yeah. and you know, you know, it just it's just such an interesting guy that he just he floors me. JYD's one of those guys I need to really dig in and learn more about. He's just one of those guys I need to have a little more. Um perspective or something on his career and understand more about what he was all about in his whole, you know, the whole career of the junkyard dog rock and roll. Express. Yeah. We did that top 10 on, but we could have done top 20 on JYD oh, while we love them easily. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, anyway, no, junk, uh, rock and roll. Go ahead. Rock and roll. They've just been, you, they've been a tag team my entire fucking life. It seems like, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, I definitely love those guys. I mean, probably one of the, Probably one of the most decorated tag teams. I know that the Dudley Boys, like, 
officially lay claim to that title, but I bet you the Rock and Roll has held more tag right, championships right. without any qualifications than almost anybody out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Blassie yeah. being a home state yeah. guy, you know, being a big star in California, I always love talking about him. Um, Boris Malenko, I like hearing about, especially because you can talk so much about him. You know, so these were all yeah. great, all great oh, choices man. for me. Yeah, that's great, man. I hope you, the wrestling fans, our listening audience out there, man, appreciate the 100% legit Hall of Fame second-class inductees because I know the professor and myself had been really looking forward to recording this episode, and now we've got two classes, and uh, next year you know we'll probably add a couple more. But it's um, always fun doing some research on these guys and also being able to share with you all some personal stories that I've had along with these guys, you know. So... Good stuff, man. Good stuff, Professor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, guys, sorry if our energy was off. We had a little trouble connecting at first today. So I don't know yes. if, it, if that came through or not that we were a little bit thrown off. I, I you know, I don't think it did, but just in case. I don't think it did, but my uh, go back to is my internet, and it hasn't happened for a long time. Knock on wood. Um, yeah, we started off with some energy going one way, and so the first part of the program may sound that way, and then we, I don't know, we was off a good 20 minutes probably to oh, come yeah. back, and then we shifted the way we were going to produce the second part of it and so anyway um hopefully it's not too big of a glitch and either way we hope you enjoyed the program this week yep and uh, bobby anything else to close on or should we just get the hell out of here let's just get the hell out of here man all right well everybody for myself in the irreplaceable tex johnson and double b bobby blaze bye bye everybody